everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MobileCast. We are on episode three of season two, and I am coming to you from Redmond Town Center in Redmond, Washington. Um, this one's going to be an interesting podcast because we are sitting outside um, in an outdoor mall, so there'll be some voices, some wind noise, and everything else. But I am very lucky here to have um, a friend of mine from Twitter who, first time I've actually met him in person. Um, and I'm, I'm going to actually ask Wes to introduce himself, but um, Wes is from uh, Directions on Microsoft, and you've seen him at Get Wired on Twitter. Um, very opinionated, very fun guy to talk to. And Wes, why don't you introduce yourself? I am not opinionated, Brian. So, yeah, And that's name, your opinion, right? Exactly, exactly. So my name is Wes Miller. I am a research analyst at Directions on Microsoft. And I cover Windows Server, Windows Client, do pinch hit on Office 365 and a few other things as needed. And, of course, do talk about licensing a fair amount, Microsoft licensing. So a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, how, yeah, let's go a little bit more into your history because you actually came from Microsoft. Um, I think a couple of your team there came from Microsoft, if not most of it. Um, what did you do before Directions of Microsoft? So I was at Microsoft, like you said, for seven and a half years, from 97 to 04, and I, I left in 2004, uh, which any of you keeping track of history will remember that that was uh, around the time frame of Windows Vista. So I went to work for Mark Rosinovich down in Austin, left specifically to go work for his company. Sysinternals. Uh, Winternals and Sysinternals, yeah, the yep. two, two separate companies that were combined at the HIF. And it was an amazing experience, one of the brightest people I ever worked with. It was a lot of fun. Uh, found my way back to Seattle to work at Directions almost exactly five years ago. And uh, just a great group of people that almost all of them are ex-Microsoft. we got two guys who worked in the IT realm for a long, long time as well and aren't ex-Microsoft, but most of us worked there at some point in time. And actually, funny part of the story is Mark's now at Microsoft, too. Yes, they had talked to us, and you know I, that was actually what led to me leaving Winternals was our acquisition again almost six six years ago, I think. So that was the summer of two thousand two thousand and six. Actually, yeah, they acquired us, and Mark's now the CTO of Azure. So things have changed a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, I can remember you know fifteen years ago I was at uh, Merrill Lynch, and you know Sys Internals, Win Internals was big back then. So, you know, you needed a tool or utility, that's what you uh, kind of went for. Right. Yeah, he's he definitely has his fans in the Windows community even today, and I think he's, as he's helped Azure mature a lot uh, and, and really find some directions, he's sort of become the go-to, di- go-to guy for Docker uh, and a lot of the open source technologies that Azure is using. So it's it's been interesting to watch him pivot. Yeah, so, you know, we are the mobile cast, so we like to bring everything around to mobile. Um, let's let's start with Azure. You know, Azure. You know, I look at I look at the recent announcements from Azure as well. You sort of have an MBAS type thing that they've announced, and you know they're doing a bunch of things as far as giving credits to people and trying to get people to use Azure as the back end for their mobile um, apps. Give us a little background. Where, you know, you you talk about this stuff. Well, I think more than anything else, they're trying to make sure that Azure has a place as a platform for almost anything uh you know as the platform for mobile apps is a huge thing they've been emphasizing for a long time windows ios android really not caring about the client in the same ways that that azure doesn't necessarily care that you're running windows on your hosted services 
Uh, so it's, it's a big change from the way the company used to run. But I think that's really their play is to try and make sure that if you're using anybody else's device platform, that Azure's the infrastructure and the back end that you're using and trying to really encourage their largest enterprise customers to take advantage of that. So, so you're talking Azure and all, and with mobile, are they being successful? I mean, I don't know if you have any insight into this, but, you know. It's still, as they say, early days with Azure. You know, if you were to ask me, if you sort of stack rank the things in terms of how customers are prepped for it, two years ago, if you asked me what enterprise customers thought of Office 365 when it was very young, I would have told you that they weren't interested. At our licensing boot camps, it's a really good sort of signal strength on where customers' heads are at. And for a long time, Office 365 was not resonating. And it is beginning to resonate, and I think a lot of that has to do, ironically, with the mobile clients and the fact that Office is beginning to, actually as of last week, be everywhere. It's even on Android smartphones with the more rich clients now. The way we, we hate using that word rich. If I just use it. <laughs> um, it's fair. It is, a, you know, you compare what was there before Microsoft, which were Microsoft Word clones and Excel clones, and they weren't rich, and they didn't have the full fidelity. And, you know, it's a... I like to say when I look at Microsoft, the big business isn't the client. The big businesses are the back office and um, office itself. Mm-hmm. Now, I think Azure is going to be huge. I think there are a few other things in there that are going to be pretty big. But, you know, office is this whole piece. And, it, you know, if you'd asked me a year and a half ago, I said, I probably would have said I would have seen them doing it for, you know, 10 bucks a client. But I wasn't surprised when they went with free. It was interesting that it was free, but you needed Office 365 to do certain things, and they keep backing further and further away from that and putting more of, you know, opening up so you can do more. Right. I think that's a a, a general tone that you're going to see across the company. Like when we look at Azure, as we were talking about what the platform can do today, it's rapidly expanding, and Microsoft very clearly sees, as I like to say, the company across the lake as their threat. So how can we mature Azure to be something better than the incumbent in cloud? And for, for, those, for those of you that don't know, across the lake from Microsoft is Amazon. So, so you know, why wouldn't talk to Amazon five plus years ago when I was looking at coming back up here uh, about a about a gig? You know, the, the tenor that I got was really it was a it was a company that had a lot of business but didn't understand management, didn't really understand developers didn't understand Windows really at all. And so I think what what Microsoft has sort of been able to do with Azure is try to build something that has a stronger management story, is more tightly integrated with their dev and management tools, uh, and shockingly to a lot of people is very welcoming to non-Windows platforms, whether that's on your hosted backend on Azure or on the client side consuming Azure services. And that's the real general demeanor of Microsoft of today is use our platforms with anybody's devices. Yeah, and, it, you know, so let's use that as a kick into Windows Phone. Um, you and I were around for the Windows Mobile days when Windows Mobile was the only game in town. Mm-hmm. It was either BlackBerry or you got a Windows Mobile. Uh, yes, there were Symbian. Yes, there were other devices. But truth of the matter is if you, were, if you were in the enterprise, you either had a BlackBerry or you had a Windows Mobile. A few people had Palm, Compact, and HP kind of went after it, but... Um, Windows Mobile actually did really well in a lot of companies, especially um, in um, other parts of the world. Look at Latin America, mm-hmm. you look at Europe and all that. 
and Windows Phone isn't doing as well as the other platforms. I, I'm going to leave it there and let you pipe up, and then we'll see where Windows that goes. Windows Phone isn't doing as well. Yeah, it, it, that's that's pretty much a good generic way to say it, and I think there's a there's a bunch. You of don't things. have to be generic. You're the analyst here. Well, there's I'm a not. bunch of a bunch of things that we can point to and ask. Well, why why hasn't it done well? But you know, there's when when you want to have a fire, right? You need you need fuel, you need heat, and you need oxygen. And it's these three things working together that create a fire. And the problem with Windows Phone is it was it it, it was a pretty good device at seven when they launched it. It you know I could see how if you were sitting on Microsoft's campus thinking this is an awesome device. I think it works really well. And, and, and to be fair, I'm, I was actually a huge fan of the Windows 7 OS because it was different from Apple. And yes, I understand Android isn't a clone, but if you looked at the beginning of Android, it was yes, we still have Windows. We still, you know, we still have you know each app is its own you know piece. Whereas Microsoft, look at the launcher was very different look and feel. Right, and I think that's you know that was their sort of starting point and. You know, we're at this point now where Android, iOS, and Windows Phone are really just picking up good ideas from each other. Uh, and there's and nothing wrong with that. Right, and learning from it. That's you know, the consumer benefits, uh, or the business user who's now the consumer, whatever. It starts to get really confusing. Uh, but the, the thing with Windows Phone that it was sort of lacking from the get-go, it's the same problem that Windows itself had when 8 came along, was... You gave me a, an interesting device. You piqued my interest, but what can I do with it that I couldn't do with uh, with an Apple device or with an Android device? And if you don't have developers taking that chance on your platform and building the apps, consumers aren't let in. And if consumers aren't there, developers don't tend to build for it. So it's, it's really this awful catch-22, and that's where Microsoft has been for a long time. And I think these bridges that they're building for Windows Phone this fall are really the interesting thing where you'll be able to get iOS apps and Android apps working with some level of work on Windows Phone. The hope is there that they can get those compelling experiences on a device that looks good, incentivize consumers to do it, to take that chance on a new device that's not from Apple or Google, and hopefully get off the ground and I you know it's interesting because I don't know the I think it's a good idea I like the, what they're doing I don't know if you're going to get developers to buy into even though it's not a lot of work it's still another platform to support and the question be, you know certainly in the US it's not a large platform when you get to Europe and all there is some uptake of it um, to me one of the fundamental mistakes in the beginning was there were no enterprise, you know, for a company that Windows Mobile was the enterprise piece, and you know, originally they were going to do Windows Mobile 6.5 and 7.0, and then it be, which became Windows Phone, and they sort of went back to the drawing board. There were no enterprise controls whatsoever. If you were an enterprise, there was no encryption. You couldn't connect to Wi-Fi that had any um, any certificate on it or anything else, mm-hmm. so you couldn't use it in an enterprise. There was. Um, so many things that were just missing from it. You know, you couldn't VPN. Right. And back then, that was the only way you could do stuff. Phone 7 and Phone 8, honestly, were consumer-grade operating systems. There may be people a few miles away from here who thought otherwise, but 
8.1, Windows Phone 8.1 in particular, was, was and as I told a product manager on the team at that time, I said, this is the first enterprise-level OS you guys have made in some time for the phone. And I, I think that was the starting point. 10 continues that. Does it take it far enough? We'll find out. Yeah, I mean, I think you'll see... It'll be interesting because there are some people who are... Um, will that Windows Phone will see somewhat of a halo effect. That, you know, hey, I've gone to Windows um, tablets, you know, Windows 10, whatever... And with the phone, it can make sense because there are things with Microsoft CRM or other stuff which are supposed to be complementary. Are they going to be complementary enough to get people to buy it? I'm not sure. And that, yeah, that, I don't see it being huge. Apple's fallen one percentage point in the enterprise. The last thing I saw, I think a month or two ago, I think 78%. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting take to see where that goes because... They're not getting rid of Windows Phone. I mean, you know that direction better than me. Right. No, Windows Phone is not going away. This is not a company that tends to make big bets and then just give up when things get hard. That's when they tend to buckle down and work harder and and use their brains to figure out how to solve a problem instead of just trying to throw money at something. Do you think, well, on that, do you think that the hardware part of Windows Phone may have actually died? You know, if you look at what they're doing, you know, with Elop leaving, um, his lieutenant leaving, um... You start to look at, although they're making the Surface, do they stop making the hardware and go back to the OEM model? Well, what's interesting about Windows Phone is I would actually argue the opposite happened already. That while there are a few handset manufacturers out there building Windows Phone X devices, by and large, they're dead. And even for the longest time with Windows Phone 10, the preview, it was Lumia's only. So if you didn't have a Nokia, you couldn't play. And I think that's, you know, it has changed. There's, there's at least, recent, there's at least an one HTC, phone. I think. But the fact that we're trying to search our minds for that one phone. And Samsung's pledged to make one. They haven't yet. Absolutely. So I don't think Microsoft is going to give up. What we're probably going to see, what I honestly hope we see, is a much more strategic vision of building a set of phones and a set of experiences. Apple... You know, Apple makes these incredible numbers of SKUs. If you actually want to get down to brass tacks, there's a lot of things that become the iPhone as you look at an iPhone 6 Plus around the world. But the consumer doesn't feel that pain. The consumer sees, I had to buy an iPhone 6 or 6 Plus. They don't get that a, there's four different, there are three different memory sizes. So that's three SKUs right there. There are three different colors, which means now they're not Different carriers might have a different. And, and, And to Apple's credit, they've done a huge amount to say, if you look at it that way, they've combined so many antennas and frequencies that they've actually been able to reduce those SKUs quite a bit compared to what some other manufacturers do. But it's still a ton of SKUs. And I think for me, that's what when I look at Nokia as a brand, as in as, let's let's fix it, Lumia. When we look at the Lumia brand that Microsoft now has, the chaos that exists there from a branding exercise. Someone there might disagree with me. The brand makes no sense to people. Lumia, as an as an overall brand, makes sense. But this this idea of throwing out these integers that really don't mean anything to new consumers. What's a nine seventy five versus a ten twenty? Six thirty five, six forty seven, six forty XL. Anyway, that's the kind of thing I think they have to streamline. You, if you missed actually, you missed Wes grabbing his temple there as he's trying to pull these numbers out of his head, and get, you can tell it gives him a headache. Extra large brand. So they need to figure out some of that to make it 
less make less friction for consumers. Well, you know, we're actually outside of Starbucks, and you know, I'm actually going to compare this to the Starbucks model that you know we're going to get the 640 Vente. Um, and I and by the way, I'm not a Starbucks person. I don't know what size of Vente is, but I think that's the extra large. Um, this was fun to order an iced tea from here. Uh, but, you know, it, it's a question of the numbers don't mean anything. And, by the way, I think that they're doing very well in a lot of, what's the right way, countries that don't have the type of money that the U.S. or Japan has where they're selling phones for $100 or, you know, the equivalent of, you know, $75 or $100. You know, you can buy some of their phones for $49 on Amazon. Nobody does that in the U.S., right. But get to other places, they're selling a lot. Well, I think it's, it's it's a combination of what would classically be called emerging markets, um, which is not necessarily a way to make money, uh, <laughs> at least for the long term. So emerging markets, and Lumia has continued to have success in the European market, which you, know, you wouldn't view as necessarily an emerging market. Uh, it's well emerged. But the fact that Lumias actually have a, a decent growth pretty regularly in Europe... So I think that Lumius have that stronghold in Europe and in the emerging markets. Uh, Microsoft has been successful there. And I think there's two dynamics that are, that are interesting there. There are places where people may have to pay more than they economically would like to or can necessarily for a phone, or places like Europe where the purchasing dynamics of a phone have been historically, been historically dramatically different from the United States where we've had these ridiculous subsidies carrying Apple like some sort of uh, you know, carriage through the, through the town. And with most of the carriers in the U.S. dropping subsidies over the next few years, I think it's going to be more of a... Apple's really going to have to compete to keep their strong place in the market at full fare on a phone or these more aggressive prices from... Yeah, it, it's interesting to look at. I, I think that Apple owns that part of the market. I think that all those subsidies are going away. You know, if you look at T-Mobile and some of these other ones, um, it is they're still letting, they're letting you go to payment plans. Yes. So it's still a little bit cheaper, and it's a payment plan which people aren't used to. And you know, having spoken to someone who's actually bought their you know bought an Apple phone at full fare for you know pieces of my family because I understand the phone market, which is sort of like what you do with Microsoft licensing. It can be very difficult to a understand plans, b understand phone prices, and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to actually posit something else. I, I think that Microsoft has to keep the Windows Phone because it's one of the ways they stay relevant in building services for phones for both Android and um, Apple. But I also think that part of where the emerging market becomes important is you know the Nokia X. Yeah, I, won't, it, I don't actually think it was a Lumia, but I think it was called the Nokia X, which was their Android phone right before they were bought, and Microsoft discontinued it. But what was so interesting about it was it was Android running all Microsoft services and not Google Play, not all these other Google services. And the tea leaves I'm reading, and I don't have the view that you have, is that Microsoft has figured out that it's more about, as you said earlier, platform, but also services. So Bing becoming a service... Um, and pieces like that, search, um, it wouldn't surprise me to see them do payments or something else. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily for their devices, but you're on Android or iOS, you know, think Cortana. Cortana's coming to Apple. Um, you'll have to have it running as an app, but it becomes interesting of 
what if all these Android phones that are out there that has 80% of the market, what if our services can run on it and we can monetize that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a really interesting interesting question to ponder. And, and the reality is if you, look, if you look at Android, there's a lot of people who are using it who don't care that it's from Google um, or who would actually like to actively extricate Google from their Android phone. Microsoft, I believe, would be more than happy to help those people extricate Google from their phone. Uh, and you're right, we're seeing Microsoft come up with these cross-platform plays. Cortana, the Bing apps are everywhere. Uh, all of these individual pieces, Office 365 itself evolving, not the on-premises legacy stuff, but the Office 365 subscription platform evolving to go everywhere. It's really about how can we make sure that no matter where people are, it's going to sound evil because I'm going to bring it back to revenue, but how, no matter where people are, we can make sure that we're getting our slice of the pie on any device. Now, you'll see that as you look at like Sacha's memo yesterday, we want to make sure that we're a part of everyone's life, and that's good, that's good. We want to say it's life, and that, it's true. And you want to provide experiences that people want to be using, and I think they're doing a much better job of that. But at the end of the day, it's about how can we make sure that we're keeping the lights on and growing as a business. Well, I mean, i got to tell you, it, I notice every time I'm watching a TV show, and I know that Microsoft's bought sponsorship, because they say, let's bing it. I'm going, nobody says let's bing it, ever. Maybe Google it, as my daughter says quite a bit, but never bing it. No, no, I don't think I've ever heard that. That's. I think I might have heard that in Redmond once, but we'll leave that there. So, this is interesting. Now, as part of what you do... You've taken a look at um, Microsoft EMS, which is their Intune um, and the like. So it's their enterprise mobile services. Yeah, enterprise mobility suite. Uh, it's it's a collection of services that you subscribe to. And really what we're seeing right now is this, this era of Microsoft moving from legacy on-premises perpetual software to cloud-based subscription licensed software, which is either user-based or device-based. And Enterprise Mobility Suite's an interesting thing because what they're attempting to do is move into this space uh, where you're managing devices and you're providing these services to both help manage a device, help manage users, and help manage content. And so what EMS consists of is a piece, it's a directory, it's the Intune service for managing your devices, and then Azure Rights Management for actually protecting your content. And the idea is wrapping all three of these together lets them tell a good, compelling story about protecting things. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, VMware, you know, we've just released um, VMware Identity Manager, and, I, you know, Microsoft made a big play, certainly before we did, about talking about identity and all that as it pertains to mobile. And I, I, I think that that's huge, and I think that's something that, you know, most enterprises do use Active Directory. There's There's something to be said there for the play that they have with identity and how to use that. There definitely is. In fact, we have people asking us all the time about, um, tell me a little bit more about a competitor for Azure Active Directory, and then we inevitably wind up with this weird dead silence on the phone as we try to think about who's a competitor. <laughs> and, you know, I think exactly like you're saying, VMware is trying to evolve to have a level of identity that, that compares with it. Uh, Amazon's the most notable one that I know of, which basically it's almost like running AD in the cloud, they're obviously suiting up to get ready to try and take on exchange-style messaging and SharePoint-style uh, 
collaboration. So we sort of see that evolving in that same direction. But you're exactly right. A lot of this is AD is that hub. And Microsoft is definitely trying to leverage that on-premises hub that not only everybody knows, but everybody's soaking in already. And how do we get people to move that to a cloud-based suite that you're going you're gonna to license? I know you've said, you've said many times in the past where you've talked about MDM and the consolidation that many of us have talked about, but I, you actually said something that piqued my interest there. When you talk about Amazon and them gearing up for exchange-style messaging and their identity and all these other pieces, you see more purchases there? You know, not... Box is partnering with everybody right now, but you see, you know, they have S3, they have these other pieces, but you see them saying, hey, maybe this little thing that we started makes some sense, but do we buy somebody? And I, I You're going to see this in the same way as I, I, Brian, we were talking before about MDM, and I think the there's this sort of shakeout that we're seeing. We're seeing it with handset manufacturers. We're seeing it with carriers to a degree. Uh, everybody's trying to buy everybody. And I think when I look at it, the um, the direction is that MDM winds up being uh, a layer composited on top of identity in the same way that Microsoft actually has done. I think I could totally see Amazon evolving to really mature their MDM. I could see Google evolving to, to do some level of MDM more than they have today. It's actually pretty primitive what they do offer. So... I think it's anybody's game, but we're going to see that federation begin between user identity, device identity, and content protection. So, so as long as let's stay on identity for a second. So, where do people like Ping, Okta, Centrify fit into those things? Well, that's an interesting question you bring up. Uh, well, you, you, know, you let it. So, well, I think that that's it's it's a it's an important question to answer, and the reality is you're. It's much like Amazon faced a few years ago when they surely decided uh, to do their own identity work. You you have to evolve uh, and, and continue to add some level of features, or you have to decide that's not my market to play in anymore. And for better or worse, you know, I know Octus continue to do a lot of work to really evolve beyond their just core, their core play. But I think when you look at at synchronization and federation, I mean, Microsoft two days ago released their uh, Azure AD Connect, their synchronization tool. Is it done? No, it's not. It's, it's good. As they say, it's a journey. It's going to continue to evolve, add new features, things like that. But the reality is this is a this is them putting their, their line firmly in the sand and saying, this is what we're going to offer for synchronization and federation. And I think that means there is a threat for anybody else who's just saying, I'll help you federate from Microsoft's on-premises to Microsoft's cloud. Now, you could help people federate from other directories to Microsoft's cloud or Microsoft on-premises to other people's cloud. Those are still areas of opportunity that will remain out there for a long time. And I don't think anybody will get directory federation in quite the same way that Microsoft did. And it's both a compliment and an insult. I think I think that they'll do it through their their own unique way to influence the 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 purchase and the projects to go the way they want. Okay, so that hits the identity part. Um, let's go a little. Let's let's keep looking at. I mean, you know, you know, you mentioned Google there. 
and you know you said they you could see them doing. Where do you see them? You know, they got Android, and you know they're extending Android into the home. There are people who say, well, Android's going to be replaced by Chrome, or Chrome may be replaced by Android. I mean, thoughts, opinions. You look at this stuff, and how's and how's it how's it hit against Microsoft well, and the mobile? It, piece? It's really funny you bring that up. So many years ago, I was actually uh, in a Google interview and talking with them about it, and the question came up. What do you? They basically wanted me to, to identify Android and identify Chrome, tell them the difference, and tell them why one versus the other. And I thought it was fascinating because I, I think I was actually explaining to them rather than actually trying to solve a problem. I don't think they knew. Um, and I think we're seeing that convergence of the two. You know, their exec leadership has shaken out a lot too, and we've seen Sundar really become that leadership. And I think we're seeing that cohesion begin. What I think we are seeing also with Google is a move into the enterprise at a level that it's going to sound ex-Microsoft cocky, that they're not quite ready for. Um, I don't think you have to be ex-Microsoft cocky. I don't think that Google has ever fully understood the enterprise. And, you know, I, I had, you know, part, part of my legacy is from the cloud part, you know, and also the server part. And, you know, I look at it, I, you know, people don't talk about Google's cloud stuff in the same conversation where they talk about you know, Amazon's the king, but a lot of people are talking about Azure and the stuff that they're doing. You don't hear the same thing about Google. Not yet, although, you know, to their credit, and this is going to sound back as one of the guys they hired is actually X Directions on Microsoft, too. Uh, but Google has really been staffing up and building out their cloud. So I think they're, they understand that they're behind and they're trying hard to come up with things that are really competitive and are compelling. Um, but for them too it's a journey it's still very early in the game and I think you're exactly right that you know the conversation always leads with Amazon and then if you bring in a second player you talk about Azure and maybe you might start talking about Google but I think Google is trying diligently to build up technologies even outside of their discomfort zone and you're actually in the Seattle area it's fascinating to watch the movements on my LinkedIn of Microsoft people to Amazon, Amazon people to Google, Google people to Microsoft. There's this strange mobility that's happening uh, between the cloud teams and the management teams of the three companies in the Seattle area. Yeah, you know, so it's interesting. And, you know, let's take that. And think about it, that's got to be fascinating for you because you know all the players. But let's take that to the mobile piece. You know, Android's huge. Android's got 80% um, of the world, but they don't have a lot of percentage in when it comes to mobile and the enterprise and Microsoft's got even less mm-hmm. and you know you look at Android for work and all which makes a lot of sense I know the Divide team um, that you know Enterprise, which became Divide which they bought which has done a brilliant job where do you see that going in the enterprise and you know is Microsoft going after Apple or is Microsoft really going after Google and Blackberry or I think it, it's a, it's an interesting one to look at because in some ways they're going after Android with an Apple-like device appeal. So device-wise, I think they're learning a lot from Apple and trying to sort of emulate Apple uh, in terms of making the devices appealing to consumers uh, and have them be brought into business by the consumer themselves. But they don't have the profit to drive it the same way that Apple does, where the consumer brings it in. It's a premium purchase, as, as you and I talked about. It's something you decide you decide to buy. Um, what's interesting is 
Well, do they need the profit? You know, you mentioned the profit, and, you know, people don't talk about, you know, people talk about how much, you know, Apple's making money hand over fist. Microsoft's got a fair amount of money in the bank, and they're certainly not poor. Right. And I think it comes down to whether you're talking about a short-term play or a long-term play. Could they afford to... Could they afford to throw money at it for a while? Absolutely. Have they been? Absolutely. Uh, a lot of their revenue arguably comes in from licensing Android patents. So they make a lot of money that pays for Windows Phone using technology licensing for Android. And I think... Although they're taking a huge write-off coming up for their Nokia purchase. Right, right. It's And that's, that's the kind of thing that, unfortunately, a lot of us saw coming before the acquisition because... You know, Nokia did their own technology manufacturing. They had a huge design team, and it, it got pulled into a company where arguably the CEO was not necessarily the biggest fan of the acquisition. So I think there's a streamlining that happened both willingly and unwillingly. I think Microsoft is really trying hard to come up with the strategy that will let them be compelling to consumers and be appealing in business and also have that halo effect, as we had talked about earlier, of, of I've got a Windows 10 device because you upgraded me for free on my, my device at home. I'm familiar with this. Hey, it looks looks and feels kind of similar. Maybe I will give this Windows phone thing a try. And a lot of the app developer technologies that Microsoft has promised, these bridges that will let you bring apps written for iOS, written for Android, the web, or Windows over but, of course, those have caveats. How well will they work? When do they arrive? What do developers actually have to do? And part of the problem is that, uh, as you alluded to earlier, developers have to make that conscious decision. I want to go through any extra effort to support Windows Phone. And I get, you know, I sort of look at that and, you know, there are two thoughts that go through my mind. Knowing what, you know, knowing what was published about what they paid for Nokia, which is between 6 and $7 billion for all the pieces and all and what I saw in the paper yesterday and today of looks like they're going to take a $10 billion write-off, which tells me they've put in $3 billion to prop it up for the last year and a half or so. So it hasn't been cheap. I kind of wonder if it's really Windows Phone that they, they should be trying to get into the enterprise or, again, the other piece of the halo effect, Microsoft Office on both, certainly on Apple, but now it's on Android, and the fact of you're in the office, you're using Office 365, we want you to use it on your device regardless of whether it's ours or not. Mm -hmm. And maybe those pieces for Microsoft CRM and other stuff, maybe we should make those work on Apple devices because we can still charge it, you know. So let's let's get to brass tacks with licensing. They're famous for the client access licenses Mm -hmm. and how much they charge for that. And, you know... Do they make money from the software? Do they make money from the client access licenses moving forward? How do they handle that? And to me, it seems to me they can still be extremely profitable regardless of which phone or tablet you bring in. You're absolutely right. And what's actually interesting is to sort of take it a step back and think about what's what's really their oldest model that they've used. And everything historically was device. The, the money that Apple makes off of their operating system is by selling devices. The money that Microsoft historically made off of makes for their operating system is of selling devices. So the OEMs would license it from Microsoft and they would pay Microsoft a fee for every device that they sold. And I think that what's interesting is we're seeing a very odd transition from Microsoft where they're shifting from a per-device model to a per-user model. 
perhaps not so ironically, there have been increases in the prices of those cows you talked about in the user side because we're moving to this high mobility world where users have multiple devices and Microsoft historically charged per device and they kept the price of that one way but they're charging you more for the per user cows so everything is focused on users have more value to us now than devices do and exactly like you talked about Office 365 how is it licensed per user there's no device model so you're a user it gives you X devices to run it on uh, the enterprise mobility suite we talked about how is that licensed explicitly as a per user subscription license and that's the general direction Microsoft is moving to cloud-based user subscriptions uh, are really where their future's at and the thing about that for them is they don't tend to care what device you're accessing it from they just want to make sure that every user has a subscription so you start looking at that you know you deal with licensing and all how difficult is that for the enterprise so licensing's funny. There's, uh, it's easy to understand licensing once you understand some basics. It's easy to understand licensing where you are. You know, you look at that map in the mall. You see the red dot. Oh, you are here. Now it's easy for you to look on the other side of the mall and find well, look, your daughter. Let's take that that pink store. So we we've got that store over here. I see my finger on it. That's easy. I can see where I am, and now I understand where I have to go. But figuring out how to get there is actually always the hardest part when you're explaining licensing. It's converting X to Y. It's much closer to algebra than I ever liked being as a liberal arts student. Which is, which is, by the way, one of the reasons your company's so successful with your licensing boot camps. No one understands like, and it, by the way, it's not a Microsoft problem. So don't, don't, you know, this isn't picking on Microsoft when I talk about licensing. It doesn't matter. You know, we actually had this conversation beforehand. It doesn't matter who you are. Licensing is tough. And I think that's exactly right. A lot of people pick on Microsoft, but it's just because they've been so universally successful. At, you'll find them in any company. I was going to uh, say, is universally successful the right way to put it? But yes, you're right. They're, they're everywhere. So <laughs> I think about the, uh, the video they shot of Tim Cook in China at the factory where there was an XP machine running in the background while they were manufacturing some Apple devices. Uh, so it's everywhere. And it's understanding that tech you have to understand the technology and you have to understand the licensing and where you're going to and you're absolutely right whether we're talking about microsoft oracle sap anybody the licensing is always what becomes the hardest part to understand for really implementing anything yeah so where do you see it going in terms of the company well, well the company azure you know you, you look at a lot of stuff, everything from, like, you know, licensing, certainly user. We know we're on the way there. Um, they're mostly there. And then there's this, you see Azure, and you see all these pieces. And, you know, I look at Satya, who's very different than some of his lieutenants. There's still some of the old-time thinking versus the new-time thinking. Um, you know, we had a brief discussion earlier about, you know, RMS Server and Intune and all these pieces that are bound together, which doesn't seem to fit the Satya... Um, vision as well of we want to be on every device we want to be we want to be in everybody's life mm -hmm. so how do you see all this kind of coming together and fitting in the next year or two being you read the memo but you also know a bunch of stuff behind the memo I think in general it's that it's that overarching direction of building 
platforms. And this is, you know, Microsoft has historically built, you, you think of it as an operating system, but really it's a platform. It's something that helps something else run. And that's where they've always made the most money. That's Windows, that's Windows Server, that's SQL Server, it's BizTalk, which it's still out there, trust yeah. me, it's still out there. Look, there's still Windows NT4 out there. Exactly. So where's the company going? It's going in the direction of building platforms that will support anybody else's device. It's user subscription licensing. It's not the death of on-premises perpetual, but it's about focusing less on that. Because as Google really showed a lot of people, if you build one thing in the cloud on your terms, you can evolve it at a different velocity. You can evolve it in different ways. You can learn. You can have a tighter feedback loop. Microsoft has learned an immense amount. And it's, it's fascinating for me to look at Office, what was the original business productivity online suite, which is really just back-end services. Then Office 365, what called V1, and then V2. And then we're about to go into this next iteration of it when the 2016 technologies all release. They have learned so much, and they're operating, I won't say at a high, high velocity, but there's a rhythm to it. That same kind of rhythm is very predictable for Azure. April, October, April, October, April. Listen to that rhythm. It's interesting when you talk about the rhythm. I think about Intel's TikTok with, um, Mm -hmm. you know, with their chips. And I certainly see that rhythm. And it's also interesting to see things like Microsoft actually talking um, intelligent server. Mm -hmm. And those, you know, intelligent agent and stuff like that, which traditionally you've seen more coming from Google. And obviously Amazon's going that way. Alexa, and they've opened up that system. If you've been reading about that, you know, Alexa skills. We want Alexa to be running on everybody's device. Um, I'm not sure everybody wants Amazon getting the information that's going to Alexa, but that's a whole other story. But, yeah, that can be said. Where do you see Microsoft going in the IoT world? You know, we're running out of time, but, you know, I, I think that may be a good topic to sort of... IoT is problematic for a couple of reasons, one of which is licensing. So... If you're in the IoT space and you're interested in it, don't even look on-premises. Go straight to Azure because the licensing rules are so much more favorable there. That's where, on the server side, I think they have a strong future. On the client side, I'm a little scared because I don't necessarily see Windows 10 scaling down to, to, to really be... In the same way, if you ask me, what's Apple's role in the Internet of Things? It's about helping other people build things that connect to their platform. And that's honestly where Microsoft will be most successful is having things connect into a Windows client or Windows server ecosystem. It won't be broadly successful, I don't think, on building their own Internet of Things devices. And I I also think that Azure becomes a very cool platform for Mm -hmm. this piece of you need somewhere to store that data. You need something to be able to parse that data. And I think you're starting to see them talking about the tools being there to do that. And again... The thing that freaks a lot of people out when you talk about Azure is the fact that it's Linux, uh, non-Windows platforms. There's the support for the things that historically might have terrified you uh, when you're looking at at Microsoft. Is oh well, if I get that, I can't use somebody else's platform. But no, it's about Azure runtime. It's not about what the operating system is that you're using. So, any last thoughts you want to share before we wrap up here? Well, I think the main thing I would emphasize is for anybody who thinks that the company's dead, you know, they're they're they may be excited, but the reality is Microsoft's not going anywhere bad anytime soon. They're going to be a part of everybody's life for a good long time, and I'm actually pretty excited about the direction they're going right now. Very cool. 
Wes, where can people find you? Uh, directions on Microsoft.com, GetWired.com is my own blog, and, of course, on Twitter at GetWired. Okay, excellent. Wes, I want to thank you for taking the time. I will apologize. I'll try and scrub this, but there are going to be lots of noises in the background, and I'll apologize for that now. But this sort of worked with me being in Seattle and the best place to meet with Wes. Thank you for a great time. And this has been Episode 3, and we'll see you next time on the road. Thank you.